The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you are all uh, the substance we need. So we ask God that you would uh, now uh, feed us uh, with your word, that you would uh, grant us the grace to um, look at this Old Testament passage and uh, see your character, your nature. Let, it see, let us see how it points us ahead uh, to our Savior. We ask that you would uh, just speak to us and through us uh, and for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I am, um, this might not have been the breakfast you were expecting, but uh, after Thanksgiving, I'm sure it was just what we needed. Um, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving uh, filled with uh, family and food and football and... Um, and I hope that, well, half of your teams won anyway uh, yesterday. Um, so we are, we are heading now into 1 Samuel. So we have been through the uh, Torah, and we've seen uh, Abraham and uh, Joseph and Moses and, um, and then Joshua. And then last week we saw... Uh, we saw Samson and Ruth, and really both of those needed a, at least a full, uh, a full class period. But I hope they were able to give you enough to go in and, and take a look at those uh, very compelling, very different uh, characters. You should know before we get to the birth of Samuel that, uh, that after Samson in Judges, it just gets worse. I mean, you might think that Samuel tears down the Philistine uh, temple, all the, the magistrates and, and important people of Philistine are killed, uh, Philistia are killed, and then um, and the people of Israel rise up in unity and, and worship it. It doesn't happen like that. Uh, they, are, um, they, they are just as boorish and pagan as they always have been. Um, and in fact, what happens is that there is a terrible battle between the tribe of Benjamin and the rest of Israel. Uh, there was a, a man whose concubine was raped and, uh, by, um, by a Benjamite, I, I, if I'm remembering the story correctly. And, um, and so all of Israel rose up against Benjamin. Benjamin would not repent as a, as a tribe. And, um, and so there was a fierce battle, and Benjamin was almost utterly destroyed. Uh, thousands of uh, Benjamite soldiers were, were killed. The women and children were killed. And Israel then, of course, they lament. Wait a second, what have we done? Now we're down a tribe. We're, we're sure we can't be the 11 tribes of, of Israel. We, um, we just basically wiped out uh, one of our tribes. What are we to do? Let's go find wives for the remaining Benjamites. There were a few that had not. And so what uh, nice thought, how should we solve that problem? Let's go sack and pillage other uh, villages and uh, kidnap some women and uh, virgins particularly and uh, bring them to the Benjamites. And, um, and so it's just a it's a, it's a uh, lawless, godless time. 
uh, in their life. It's, it's interesting. They, they have this sort of moral superiority about the rape, but then they just, uh, you know, their solution is, is completely, um, uh, well, just, um, just immoral, I guess is, is one way to say it. Uh, and the, the last line, the last verse in Judges, Judges 21, verse 25, says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the refrain that goes through uh, the book of Judges, but that's, that's the way the book of Judges ends. You know, no happy ending, just everyone, there's no king, um, and there had never been a king except for God. God was the king. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The end. And then we see the book of Ruth, and what we see is that God, uh, so what is happening in the book of Ruth is that um, is right during this time period. And we see that God is still working. It's, we get this glimpse, this story of redemption. That, and again, as Sarah said last week, the, uh, the name of God is never, uh, he, God never speaks in Ruth. Um, and, and, he is, and yet he is clearly uh, working because he uh, put uh, Ruth and Boaz together who would have Obed, who would have Jesse, who would have David. So God is still at work. What's interesting about this period is it's just not black and white. Uh, it's not binary, either or, um, it, I, as if to say, if you are unfaithful, you will be, um, uh, you will be damned or cursed, and if you are faithful, you will be blessed. Uh, God works through the unfaithful, which is, in one sense, confusing, but in another sense, very comforting. That God has always been a God of grace. Now, that doesn't mean that we should just say, you know, as Paul says, should we sin all the more that grace may abound? By no means. Of course, we are called uh, to faithfulness. And yet, uh, God is not um, put off by our... I mean, He's put off morally. He's offended, but He doesn't cease to interact or to work His own purposes. Um, So it doesn't inhibit... Faithfulness is important, but it doesn't inhibit God from working His plan and His purposes. So we come now to the birth uh, of Samuel in, uh, in 1 Samuel uh, chapters 1 through 3. And we find with um, Samuel, we find some parallels with uh, at least a couple of other birth narratives in Scripture. Uh, we might think of uh, Jacob, who had, was married to Rachel and Leah. And if you remember, Rachel was the beautiful one. Leah was the sort of homely one. She had weak eyes, the, the Scripture says. That's uh, probably euph- euphemistic. And, um, and Leah has, um, God looks upon Leah with favor, and she is, uh, produces many children. But Rachel, uh, whom Jacob has always loved, is barren until God opens her womb later. But actually, Leah, uh, God loves Leah and gives the promise. Uh, the, uh, Judah is born to Leah, and of course, Jesus was from the line uh, of Judah. Um, we also see parallel in the birth of Samuel with the birth of Jesus, uh, and uh, particularly in Hannah's song, which we will see in just a, a minute. But in this time, Eli is the priest at Shiloh, and it seems like Eli is the judge. Uh, I, as I read it, I, I don't remember him being called the judge of Israel at that time, but that's, what, that's essentially the role he's playing. He's one of, in the line of, of judges. 
And uh, he has sons who also are serving as priests, and their names are um, Hophni and Phinehas. Um, Which in that day, I guess, was kind to to name your children Hophni and Phinehas. But um, (laughs) Phinehas, not so bad. Anyway, uh, these are very clearly faithless men. Um, They're going through the motions of the sacrifices. Very interesting. They're not... They're still doing what a priest does outwardly. They're wearing the ephod and all these things. They're making the sacrifices. But they're taking way more than their share of the meat. They're taking advantage uh, financially of their position. And they're sleeping around with uh, the ladies at the gate, as, as they're called. So, and Eli goes to him and says, you gotta, y'all got to cut this out. And, and, uh, but Eli can't keep him in line. And he doesn't really have the will to do much. I mean, they're adult sons, and you know, what are you going to do? So, um, and yet, in the midst of that, we see this man who is very faithful, uh, named Elkanah. Now, if we were to have a, uh, the, if the lectionary were to pick up with First uh, Samuel chapter one, verse one, uh, the lector for the day would just be in hives before him. But this is this is what we see. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zephim. Uh, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. And, um, and so, uh, but what we see is that Elkanah is a faithful man. And he's bringing the sacrifices yearly. This is just part of his, we don't really see the details of his life, but yearly he's bringing the sacrifice not to Jerusalem at this point, but to Shiloh, which is where Eli is. And, um, and Elkanah has two wives. Uh, again, just like, like Jacob, has two wives, Hannah and Penina. And Penina is the one who uh, is, has all the children. And Hannah has no children. And Penina takes great joy uh, in just provoking and making fun of and bashing Hannah. Hannah is barren, uh, Penina has children, and she's mean to Hannah. But Elkanah loves Hannah. And he says, why are you so sad? Aren't I worth more than ten sons to you? Well, no, you're not. You know, like it's... Um, so, uh, I mean, he, lo- he really loves her. Uh, uh, and, but she wants a child. She, this is... This is her, um, in, of course, in that culture, I mean, this was as much her status as anything. God, she wanted the, uh, the favor of God. She would have been judged, not just by Penina, but by others. Um, so let me read for you from chapter 1, starting at verse 9. Um, so they go up, and uh, they're in Shiloh. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman, great man of discernment, uh, Eli. And, um, and Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Uh, put your wine away from you. Uh, you know, take the moral high ground, Eli. Good job. And, um, and Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. So what you have is you have the priest of the Lord who has virtually no relationship with the Lord, and you have this 
this woman who is uh, from off and is, um, you know, just a, a commoner ha- who has this great faith in the Lord in the midst of a really terrible, faithless time. And she's the one who's really bearing witness uh, to him. So Eli answers, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made of him. It's just sort of a platitude, really. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So she felt uh, uplifted. And they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. They went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The name Samuel sounds like, according to my note in my Bible, it sounds like, um, heard of the Lord. Heard of the Lord. So, so she conceives as a result uh, of her prayer. And uh, she had actually been praying... Uh, to the Lord, actually right before I started reading, she, um, she's praying that if God will give her a son, then she will give the son to God. And that God, uh, she will actually make him like a Nazarite. We saw that in Samuel. Um, this is not uh, demanded of by the Lord like it was for Samuel, but it, she says, I'll set him apart and no razor will touch his head. That's what, what she says. And, um, and so God gives her uh, this child and she names him Samuel, and when he is weaned, good to her word, she brings him up to Shiloh, to the temple, to serve under Eli. And, um, and this is her prayer, and I just want to read to you this prayer, Hannah's song. And, um, and if you're familiar with the Magnificat, and I'll, I'll turn to that in just a minute, but I just want you to, and we're actually, um, we'll be reading the Magnificat at least once or twice during Advent, and, um, because we always do. And um, rightly, and um, and I want you to see um, if you can note some similarities here. Uh, Hannah's prayer and Mary's prayer are not like I would expect them to pray if God had just given them uh, a child, and perhaps not like I would have prayed. Um, my heart exalts in the Lord; my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. And those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall, he, shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. 
It's a pretty remarkable psalm. Um, what, in what ways is that like what you know of the Magnificat, what you can remember? What, what themes do you hear there? You remember the Magnificat? Praising the Lord, for sure. What was that? Exalting. Exalting, yes. Mm-hmm. The words are similar where He sends, sends the rich away empty and He feeds the hungry. Yes. He sends the rich away empty, He feeds the hungry, so the words are similar. Um, so let me go up to uh, Luke 2 and just read some of this. My soul, you'll recognize these words. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, now all, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I feel like if I was in their shoes, what I would pray is... Wow, the Lord just gave me a baby. Isn't that great? Uh, and, and, and yet what is interesting is they both find themselves in the narrative of the character of God who lifts up the lowly. They, they place their story uh, within just the normal way that God works His plans. That those who exalt themselves uh, have, in one sense, no need for God to exalt them, but actually... God will humble the proud, but for those like Mary and like Hannah, uh, God will lift up uh, the lowly. And so it's just a a really, I think, remarkable uh, prayer for both of them. Hannah's prayer, um, well, I guess you might say the Magnificat mirrors Hannah's prayer, which came first, but they just, um, they both look to God in His character and thank Him for His mighty deeds, not so much for giving me this special child. Which I think is... is um, I'm sure they did thank God, and I know they both thanked God for their special children, their sons, but uh, they just placed themselves within the narrative of, of God's grace and His goodness. Any comments on that? Thoughts? So... We come then to the calling of Samuel. And Samuel is the... He's a prophet. He becomes a prophet. God puts His Spirit upon him. Remember, Hannah has prayed for... um, uh, Hannah has prayed for this son. And I'm going to give him to your service. And... um, And we see that God answers that prayer, not just in the giving of the son, but in the anointing of of Samuel with his spirit uh, of prophecy. He becomes really the final judge uh, for Israel. And he is a faithful and godly man. And you may know this uh, story that uh, about this calling of Samuel. He's serving, he's a boy, but he's probably, I would guess, just based on the, the way it's written, I would, it doesn't say how old he is, but I, I would guess he's somewhere um, uh, early teens, maybe. And... Um, 
the boy is ministering. He's, he's basically Eli's servant. He, he helps him uh, around the temple. Um, and God calls out to him, Samuel, Samuel, one night. And Samuel, uh, the Scripture says, Samuel doesn't know the Lord yet. And so he gets, hears the voice calling out Samuel. Samuel gets up and goes to Eli. Yes, my Lord, what is it? I didn't call you. You're dreaming. Go back to bed. God calls again. Samuel, Samuel. Gets up, goes to Eli. Yes, what is it? I'm here for you. I didn't call you. What is it? A third time, and Eli finally catches on and says, If you hear it again, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What you might hope is that God says, Samuel, you're my beloved son. I opened your mother's womb for you, and I'm going to do amazing things to you. But he doesn't say that. He says, you're going to have to tell Eli that I'm going to reap judgment, reap judgment upon his sons. <laughs> night, night. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a really hard message. His first, his first prophetic word that Samuel gets in his calling. What's interesting, at least one point I want to raise in this, is that Samuel had not prepared for this calling. He just was serving the Lord. He didn't know that he was going to be a prophet or a, a judge or anything like that. He's just serving in the temple because his mama told him to. That was his lot. And the calling of the Lord upon us often comes without warning. I don't know at what point in your life you have received a left-hand turn or a right-hand turn from the Lord. You're going along and the Lord says, eh, we're going this way. The calling of the Lord is often, and I would say usually, unannounced. It just comes in His own timing. It certainly has been my experience in each of the callings that I have had. I was not looking for a call to ordination. Um, I was not... Uh, I was expecting when I had embraced that. I had a timeline. I was headed to seminary. That didn't happen either. Uh, I ended up at a parish, my first parish out of seminary. I never could have found these people in Johns Island, South Carolina. So glad I did. Then my phone was uh, just rang one day. I, it was it was my old friend Frank Limehouse. He called me to uh, the Advent in Birmingham, and I was doing my job there. And my phone rang, and um, and it was the Bishop of Florida. And I, here I am. I'm not answering my phone anymore uh, these days. But, um, you know, I mean, just so many times that these important things in your life just are completely unannounced. But they bring about dramatic change. Um, you know, I think about uh, the ways in which, uh, I, you know, when we found out we were having children, none of those were really planned. You know, they just... I mean, I don't want to say they just happened, but they, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, they weren't on our timeline, you know. I mean, just all sorts of things. I'm sure you have all sorts of stories as well. God's uh, calling comes in God's timing. Well, Samuel was afraid to tell Eli this message, and Eli said, boy, you got to tell me. And he, so he, he tells him, and Eli says, well, he's the Lord. Let the Lord do what the Lord wants to do. And eventually the Lord does bring judgment upon uh, Hophni and Phinehas and ultimately upon Eli himself. And Samuel is fixed as the prophet and the judge uh, of Israel. It says that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew 
that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. So Israel, as fragmented and faithless as they were, looked to Samuel for as their leader. So we, that's the end of chapter 3. Uh, the E100, Essential 100, has us skipping a few chapters. Uh, we see that the Philistines take the ark of the Lord, and then the ark in a really wonderful and miraculous story is returned to Israel. I'd encourage you to go and take a look at those. And Samuel is fixed as the judge, but Samuel has two sons, and he makes them judges over Israel, and they aren't doing a very good job either. It says, chapter 8, the name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, uh, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So we see Eli raising his uh, sons in the temple, but his sons go awry. We see Samuel presumably raising his children in the faith. Uh, we see this all throughout Scripture. In fact, even, San, even Solomon, who wrote, Raise the child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Have you read about Solomon's kids? They were disasters. You know, they were just... And I don't know about you, I take great comfort in knowing in that. <laughs> I love my kids, uh, but how they turn out is you know, certainly partly my responsibility. But you can look and say, I mean, the biblical, I don't know what your kids are like, as, as a, most of you have adult children, but I don't know, and I don't know what they're like, but, but um, chances are some of them are very fine, some of them are wayward. And, and there, are, uh, there are countless biblical instances of, uh, not of successful parents raising successful children, but faithful parents trying their best and their children are cuckoo. And just and, and wandering all over the place, and God is still God, and He is still uh, He is still loving them. He's still caring for them. So, I particularly take uh, take comfort in the fact that so many Bible heroes have trouble with their children. Um, the people are not waiting around. They see these two uh, sons of Samuel that, who are taking advantage of their office and for whatever reason whatever uh, whoever's idea it was whatever the political climate it was they're not waiting around for God to raise up a faithful judge they go to Samuel and say appoint a king for us we want to be just like all the other nations every other nation has a king they can go and talk to they're the king our king we can't see him you know, we heard about the, cloud, the, the pillar of smoke and all that, but we hadn't seen that in generations and generations. And We just need a king like everybody else. And you can, I think, at least have a little sympathy given the fact that they were had just generations into sort of essentially uh, pantheism and paganism that we can, we can blame them. And I think, in one sense, rightly for not turning their hearts to God. But in another sense, given their context, we probably would have made the same assumption. We just, what are we doing? Like, we just need a king. And Samuel is very disturbed by this, and he goes and prays to the Lord about it, and, and God says, obey their voice. It's not you they've rejected. They've rejected me. 
obey their voice, but tell them what is going to happen to them before they make the final decision. This is what Samuel says. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. It was a done deal in their their mind. And so... God raises up Saul. And interestingly, chapter 9, as we begin to meet Saul, here's what we get. There was a man of the tribe of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zaor, son of Becherath, and a few more guys, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. So he is... From the tribe that was decimated. From the tribe whose mothers, just a couple of generations ago, were the slaves who had been pillaged and brought, uh, kidnapped and brought to the Benjamites. And in fact, as Saul will tell us, his clan was the least among the Benjamites. And so... Again, another case of God raising up the lowly. But it is, uh, in this case, I think, an indictment. Uh, You asked for it, this is what I'm going to give you. And Saul is super handsome and super tall. And it says he was a head taller than anybody else in Israel. Very handsome. And that apparently was the qualifications required uh, for the king. Because everybody looked at that guy and said, that guy looks like a king, you know, he uh, I'm just very grateful that tall and handsome was not uh, on the list of things people were looking for, the search committee was looking for. Um, so, um, so the, um, he was the lowest of the low. Uh, he was from the traitors, the descendants of the pillaged. And, um, and he was yet the perfect candidate because he was tall and handsome. Now there is a, a sense in which uh, God does rest His Spirit upon Saul. But when we meet Saul, Saul's just a redneck. His dad is, is a man of means, and, um, but so he, sends his, he sends Saul to go get the donkeys. The donkeys have wandered off. And Saul can't find the donkeys. What does that say about Saul? That the, the donkeys, 
the jackasses have outsmarted Saul. But in, while on the trip to try to go and, and meet, uh, find the donkeys, he runs into Samuel. And Samuel hears from the Lord and said, this is the man I have anointed. And he actually, um, the God does actually place his spirit upon Saul and he, go, and he prophesies, actually. But when it comes time to anoint the king, Samuel calls all of the tribes of Israel together and they draw by lots and they pick the tribe of Benjamin. And you can imagine just the, the tribes are aghast. You know, they're just scandalized that God would pick Benjamin. So all of Benjamin comes forward and then they pick the, the tribe of Kish and they say, and then they pick from the tribe of Kish, they, they pick uh, Saul. And Saul is our king. We're, Where's Saul? And God speaks to Samuel and said, He's hiding among the luggage. <laughs> it's in the book. So have this, this... I mean, listen, if somebody came and asked you to be king, you should hide. I mean, like, it, it, that's, a, that's a terrible job. You know, you know, who wants to be king? But, um, but it was... But he, he was afraid. And I think rightly so. But he's not the leader that they had anticipated. He was really the leader they deserved. Saul was the king that the people deserved, who could not and would not lead them. He does actually try, as we see, to lead them, but he quickly runs off course. Um, there's a time uh, in his kingship where it really goes awry where he uh, is supposed to wait for Samuel to come and offer a sacrifice. Samuel's running late, or at least according to Saul's um, schedule. And so he says, I'll just offer the sacrifice myself. And that's really the nail in the coffin. Because he does uh, participate in the holy things that they weren't his to participate in. And so what we'll see next week is that God raises up not the king that the people deserve, but the king that he has anointed. He raises up King David. Now David, of course, is a broken man as well and has all sorts of ways that God uh, has to redeem him. Uh, But he is the Lord's anointed and the great king. So that's really what we have to say today. Any um, questions or comments or follow-up? Yes, ma'am. Um, well, then it couldn't bad. be true. Um, I know that it's bad, but you know what I'm saying? It sounded kind of wild. Yeah, and yeah. So, sure. Um, so, Khan's referring to um, chapter 10, I believe uh, verse 9. When he turned back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. So he is placing the Spirit upon him in some sense. And all these signs came to pass that day. Samuel had told him... Um, the, here are the sign you're going to be king, and of course he was like, "No, uh." And um, he said, "Here are all the signs." And all the signs came to pass. 
When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he had prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? So God has placed the Spirit upon it. To answer the question, I mean, it does sort of look like this sort of cultish procession. Pentecostal might be a a way that we would describe it. The Spirit is uh, with them. They are a group of prophets. There's there's no explanation here that they are in the line of Samuel or that um, that they are prophets of the Most High God or whatever, but it does seem that the Spirit of God came upon Saul. God gave him a new heart. and uh, changed him for the, for the task at hand where he could. I mean, you think about all that Samuel said that the king is going to do. He's going to uh, the leadership required to take all of your servants and and all the you know all these things. He was just a farm boy. It would, even to even to be a bad king, it would he would have need, needed a new a new heart. So, you know, I I don't really have a a, a great example or a great. Uh, uh, a lot of information about what happened then. I think what we are to understand is that God gave Saul, in a sense, even though he was the king that the people deserved, He gave him a, sense, a, a fair shot. He gave his, his spirit upon him. And yet, Saul did turn, would eventually turn away from him. So, I don't know if that helps. Yes, ma'am? I have an example of something like that. Okay. Well, they were they were just what what is different about that is that what you experienced was after Pentecost, <laughs> and so the Spirit of God has been given. There, you, I mean, I think what you're talking about is a, there's a particular sort of freshness, a, a, a weightiness about the Spirit, but it would that would have been more unusual in that day because the Spirit was only given was not given broadly, but given particularly. Well, I'd, I'd only disagree on the point. Mm-hmm. Of how far we allow the spirit within us today. Well, that that may be that true. Was, mm-hmm. That does correlate correlate to what was going on then. Mm-hmm. And um, we rational people just have a harder time letting go. Uh, well, no. I, what I'm saying is that what you experience should be more regular now than it was yes. then. Yes. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Uh, it it should be. But again, the office there's there's a weird there's a strange balance. I mean, we have free will and we don't have free will, and, and God is working in uh, in us and despite us and through us, and so God is uh, there is a sense in which God is going to do His work regardless, and there's a sense in which God uh, waits for His people to open themselves up. So yeah, it's a, I think what it would be like if we all opened ourselves up. That day. I would love it. I would love it. All right, friends, thank you for your patience today. Uh, I hope that you were filled in your 
spirits, if not in your bellies. But thanks for being patient with us. I understand that we will have uh, great food next week. Let me tell you what the chapters next week. You still do have a few of these E100 books if you're interested in those. So this was chapter 31 and 32. So we will be in 33, 34, 35 next week. So let's see. First uh, Samuel 16 to 18, First Samuel 23 and 24, 2 Samuel 5 to 7. First Samuel 16 to 18. I'll, I'll um, do my best to get a real ex- an explanation and I mean a blurb in the uh, e news this week. 16 to 18, 23, 24, and 2 Samuel 5 to 7. Okay, go in peace.